Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. So today we're going to do a little bit of history. Uh, thank you to Rumble for fixing the rants for us. Uh, that was awesome. Uh, it was um, kind of uh, shocking to see the news today. They almost feel like they're dead, uh, that they're not working correctly. Uh, you know, the whole conglomerate of uh, the... Uh, how do you say it? The Creative Artists Agency. There we go. That was easy. It feels like they're losing sight in what the message should be. So I thought I could start with, um, hey, you know, uh, Secret Service was just duped by Pakistani intelligence people with televisions. So that way we can get that out of the way because that was a little bit insane. And I think everyone should hear it because it was really weird because if it happened under the Trump administration, well, it would be another story. My co-hosts here, Emily Campagno and Kaylee McEnany, are ready to carry you through a fun Friday. <laughs> here also, Tommy Laren and Steve Hilton. Good to see you guys. Prosecutors say the suspects posed as Homeland Security agents and gave expensive gifts to Secret Service agents, including televisions, cell phones, weapons, rent-free apartments worth $40,000 a year each, Four Secret Service officers have been put on administrative leave in connection with this case. Fox News can now confirm one of the agents was protecting the First Lady at the time. The other was assigned to the vicinity of the Vice President's residence, although not on her personal detail. We have new pictures of what the FBI has found after raiding one of the suspect's apartments this week. They show tactical gear, ammunition, and firearms. Both men are U.S. citizens, although one claims to have ties to Pakistan's intelligence service. The suspects are set to appear in court later this afternoon. Steve Hilton, what comes to mind when you see the details of the story? Well, the details are really pretty shocking, Harris. And as you said, although when you said, you know, the worst scandal in Secret Service history, my, I, I was thinking you were going to say the worst scandal since the last scandal, mm -hmm. because actually this is a scandal plagued agency. I'll get to that in a second, but the specific details of this case um, are really, really scary. With that that um, connection there, potentially, to Pakistani intelligence, to the ISI, tells you that this is not a, just a bunch of random people who um, thought this would be, be a fun, fun idea. idea. This this is, this so I'm going to stop right there. Let's just talk more coincidences, right? It was just a coincidence that we did a whole show on the ISI. Ah, it was a while back, wasn't it? And see, all of you guys already know about the ISI because we have sat together, talked about it. I showed you how they're one of the most incredible one, right? And it's almost, you know, I mean, it's just a coincidence, of course, right? It's just a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face and I'm behind a microphone on no camera. Okay. And I can't even articulate it <laughs> with a straight face. So take it as you will. I'm just saying, take it as you will. 
is infiltration by a foreign government and actually a hostile part of a foreign government. Often we think of Pakistan as an ally. The ISI, the intelligence agency, that was a real enemy of America through the years in Afghanistan, funding and supporting the Taliban and so on, despite uh, what we heard from the Pakistani government. So that's a real cause for concern. Secondly, in terms of the specifics of this case, you have to wonder when you read out that list of specifics that the agents were offered, including the rent-free apartment, yeah. You you have to wonder why they weren't suspicious. And that rings real alarm bells, frankly, about the quality of the people in these incredibly sensitive positions. But, but actually, the, the real point I think that we all need to focus on is the structural point about what is going on with this agency. I was just looking at what's happened since those scandals, particularly during the Obama years. Mm -hmm. um, and we all remember the stories one after another, intrusions into the White House, prostitutes in Colombia, on and on it went. There was a report done to uh, make recommendations, an expert panel, I've got the details here, an expert panel recommended in 2014 a bunch of recommendations for the Secret Service. They, uh, they pointed to a catastrophic failure of training and recommended training, the division trained 25% of the time. They had 19 recommendations. Now, if you look just recently, the, the Government Accountability Office looked at what the Secret Service had done. They said that now the training might get up to 12% of the time by 2025, and 13 of the 19 recommendations have been met. So what have they been doing? They're not even halfway to implementing the recommendations that were made after the last scandal. Look, and this is not to impugn the entire agency, but what you're talking about really hit the entire agency. If they did 13 of the 19 recommendations, were those even the right recommendations? I mean, that's more right. than 50%. Maybe they were learning the wrong stuff. Tommy. Yeah, one has to wonder, how does something like this happen? Where is the oversight? This isn't a small issue. We're talking about for a second right there. Okay. So we did this whole episode on ISI because I was kind of trying to let you know in on that stuff. Okay. So I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying. So we did it. Why? Because I showcased that the Obama administration was the one that actually implemented the ISI within their offices. Eric Holder's law office literally has ISI Intel assets in one of his basements right underneath his law firm. And yet here we are talking about old news for us, right? But the media is now, it feels like they're going back listening to like old shows, right? And uh, <laughs> it feels like they're going backwards um, looking at old shows to kind of find the news. It's, it's so weird. And the thing is, we already knew this, right? We already knew this. We knew that the ISI has penetrated uh, the ranks of Secret Service. We knew that they penetrated DOJ, FBI. This is one of the most ridiculous setups. But then you have to wonder, if they have a free apartment and they live there for free, what were they doing in return? Talking about the president, the vice president, the first lady, this kind of thing should not fall through the cracks. But I look at the bigger picture here. The American people already have so much distrust in federal institutions. There's so much, so many questions about foreign agencies, foreign ties, whether it be the Biden family, whether it be Eric Swalwell and his potential Chinese girlfriend spy, Dianne Feinstein. There are so many people with so many links to so many things that should be concerning. I think it's time we batten down the hatches and get some oversight here because this is nothing 
to play with. The American people deserve answers on this and a whole cadre of other issues that are threatening our national security. And I don't think we're going to get it. It just seems to be swept under the rug and no one seems to care about this investigation, the next investigation. We are so investigation ridden and it seems like we rarely ever get a conclusion that's satisfactory. I know. You know, sometimes you kind of get confused when you say a word over and over and over and over and over. And you're like, wait, what does that word mean again? For me, that word is investigation. Emily. Yeah, Tommy, you make a great point. And I have to say, um, you know, if there is a dearth of leadership, uh, a, an absence of training, if there are outlier agents, then we will reserve that identification for each. And largely, by and large, the Secret Service is filled with an incredible cadre of men and women uh, in a largely thankless job, frankly, and we thank them and are grateful for them absolutely every single day. Um, I spoke with a longtime supervisory special agent, Jeff James of the Secret Service. He was presidential detail covering four administrations. He's now retired and he had a, just such great insight into the situation. He said, you know, you're talking about all this stuff to Steve's point, free rent and the like. These guys were supposed to be DHS employees. That's the same pay structure. So didn't that raise red flags? How are these guys in possession of all of this cash of amazing, expensive stuff. And then secondly, you know, we know that concentration wise, Washington DC and Moscow have the most heavily populated amount of spies in the entire world. Why would you be even talking to these people when they're giving you improper benefits? No matter what dearth of training there might be, training covers that. At best, he said they were being set up for extortion and at worst, they were being worked as an asset for a foreign government. And, and, and that, that final point blew me away. And by the way, if they had just done a little bit of research, a little bit on their own, three minutes of their time into these guys, yeah. they could have saved the DOJ from from undergoing an incredible now investigation that to Tommy's point will likely last a long time. Well, this was actually necessary. See, you can't go back and say, well, you know, a <laughs> Wan brothers or, you know, Eric Holder's basement, because you've got to really pinpoint it. So in order to get something done, you've got to have an appropriate setup to say, wait a minute. So ISI is going to secret service. Maybe there's more. Um, maybe we should look into this stuff. And this is where all the ISI stuff that I had sent at that time to acting Attorney General Whitaker um, while uh, General Flynn was undergoing questioning. You know, and the ISI agents were like in the basement. Like you can't even make this up. Like even if you want to make it up, you can't make it up. Okay. So this is how you dovetail an investigation. Maybe you set them up so that way we can then start the narrative of it was Pakistan that did all this stuff and not all the Democrats or Obama. But then there's that lacy drive with Barack Hussein Obama's passports and his training in Karachi and, and, and that may or may not turn up at the right time. And we all know that Barack Hussein Obama trained in Karachi, Pakistan. And so then that comes in full circle, but you know, maybe it's cover. Who knows? Who knows? Now, um, there is a lot going on. I thought uh, before we get into uh, understanding history and seeing how what we as a nation are going through is um, more, um, I would say, congested with fake news because we are awake. We are not enamored with technology. We are not enamored with um, you know a new idea of travel. Um, 
see, they were this experiment that began here uh, was actually deployed in Europe. And I'm going to show you in this and, and see, uh, we could have gone through this another time, but it was important to see um, Marine Le Pen first. Because what people don't realize is that the European Union was created under the same um, cloud of deception as uh, what they are trying to usher here in the United States. The problem that they have, though, is that the people of the United States aren't as, I don't want to say pretentious, but we're the trend. Okay. Let me let me set this straight. So we're kind of trendsetters in the sense on a global scale when it comes to technology and utilizing technology uh, per se. I mean, I would like to say the Koreans are first, but I mean, if we're going to be honest as the CCP, you know, they had their whole cryptocurrency and social credit score. But uh, in Europe, they're more on the fashion, right? So. They're more into the glitz and glamour. We already have Hollywood here. So um, we need more work than Europe. Now, don't get me wrong. It took 20 years to kneel Europe, right? It started in the 80s. And you're going to hear today and see things today that you're like, whoa, how did I miss that? Same arguments that... For the past six years, Americans have been making. Some of them have been making them vocally for over 10 and 20 years uh, because for us, we can't really see the effect. Our nation is so massive compared to others that we can't see it. So before we get into Marine Le Pen um, and the agency, of course, I thought that maybe I could. Oh, let me give you guys an update on my defamation suit. Right. Uh, today, uh, <laughs> Media Matters, uh, who's being represented by Mark Elias, has uh, filed another document. And this time uh, they tried to use the excuse that we've asked the uh, judge in my case to for a status conference. Uh, the status conference basically is us asking the judge, all right, well, what do we do? Um, because, you know, we don't want to find Ali Akbar in default. We want him to present himself to the court, right? And so it seems that they have probably reached out to uh, Congressman Cohen because he kind of was left out there. Uh, but they joined forces, Dominion and Mark Elias joined forces today. And they asked the court to, no need for us to have a status conference. We could just dismiss our cases and move on. And it's like, uh, they did this on purpose. The reason is because they wanted to tell the judge like tell him oh well you know she's like totally she likes um asked the court which i did the state court uh to find amy tottenberg you know the federal judge that's sitting on the halderman report in contempt of court for not answering her subpoena which is true um so i asked for sanctions for the judge to actually go to her and the thing is, that's totally legal. Nobody is above the law. A judge also has to respond to subpoenas they receive, especially when they're acting out of, uh, you know, uh, scope. I mean, when a judge just sits on it. And so they're seeing that the judge isn't moving anything in their case. So they're like, yeah, so we're just going to tell on her, right? Hold on. You know what? Let me share this with you because it's, it's actually quite interesting uh, to see. Uh, they use the old letterhead so they didn't really focus on it. I just wanted to 
share this with you so you guys can see uh, how it works uh, when they when when we're talking lawfare. Uh, let's see. Let's get my Adobe up. There we go. All right. Let me show this to you guys. So let me put it in full. All right. There we go. Let me take the banner out so you don't miss anything. All right. So here we have um, their filing and defendants, U.S. Dominion Inc., Dominion Voting Systems Inc., and Dominion Voting Systems Corporation collectively as Dominion and defendant Media Matters for America, Media Matters, provide the following joint response to plaintiff's motion for status conference or order compelling defendant Ali Abdul Razak Akbar to respond to plaintiff's uh, amended verified complaint. So they go on saying these things. They're like, well, you know, Dominion and Media Matters are, are submit to judicially efficiency. The economy would be best if you first rule on the dependents that are pending. Okay, so whoa. So they're literally telling the judge what to do. You should just rule on us and get rid of us together because we decided so. So here's a list of cases where judges did that. And it's like, you know, I feel in a way that these people don't do their homework. Right. They don't do their homework. They haven't paid attention to see who this judge is. And the one thing that he likes is that he's in charge of his court, just like every other judge is. So you do not tell a judge what to do. But anyway, further along, they say, well, if you if you grant us the motion to dismiss, it wouldn't we wouldn't need a conference, uh, you know, a um, a conference so we can discuss discovery and, you know, it'll eliminate undoubtedly what will be a host of spurious and costly discovery disputes. They're worried about what I'm going to ask. Look, they already got the request for, for, for admission. They know what's coming. Here's the thing. They try to put the nail on the coffin by saying, you know, she tried to hold <laughs> the, the federal judge in contempt right there, which yes, why not? Right. For my part, I cannot claim that I would suffer any prejudice in a short delay in the scheduling of this conference since the case is in its early stages. And I have not identified any discovery that I need to respond to any of the defendant's motions to dismiss. Uh, why am I going to do things premature? But the thing is, they already know what I want. OK, wait, but here it gets better. They got really upset. They were, I feel like they were trying to tell on me as if the judge doesn't know. In particular, the plaintiff has served subpoenas on the United States District Court for the Northern District of Georgia Atlanta Division. Yes, I did. Former United States Senator John Kerry. Fuck yeah, I did. In his capacity as Secretary of State. President Joe Biden's press secretary, Jen Psaki. Yes, in her capacity working for the State Department. Former President, President George W. Bush's Deputy Chief of Staff, Karl Rove for a lot of things. <laughs> Former United States Secretary of Defense, Robert Gates. Yeah, he invented the software. Former Director of the CIA, John Brennan. Yeah, he implemented and amplified the software. And former United States Undersecretary of Defense, Paul Brinkley, who, by the way, is also the head of Cer Cerberus and hmm, BlackRock. So I subpoenaed all these people because I can and I should. And they're part of my case. So they were like, oh, look, judge, she subpoenaed all these people. Yeah. Thank you for letting the judge know that this is a massive case. It is a massive case. And you could cry like a little bitch, but it's going to come out. See, when you defame someone, there's law and legal remedy. Okay. 
You can't just go around saying shit about people. The state of North Dakota is paying for it too. They're going to be paying tons and tons and tons of money because you can't go around saying things like that about people and thinking that you're just going to keep getting away with it. You get away with it. How? See, it's like Ali Akbar. He talks a lot of shit on social media, but the little bitch won't turn up to court. Okay. Oh, and by the way, by the way, I just want to say is really thank you very much to everyone and please continue to do so to send me your videos and pictures from January 6th. Obviously, I keep all my sources uh, completely um, anonymous, but you guys have given me some treasure troves of things that actually uh, contradict to what Ali Akbar said to the J6 committee. So weird how you said you were somewhere, but <laughs> pictures say you were somewhere else and video. So it's really weird. Uh, but he's not the focus of it, right? You see how that works? Sure. Feds. Hey, maybe that's why Pete Santilli was so hard on loving him some Ali Akbar. Feds like to stick together. Like he wouldn't talk about Federique until everybody else jumped on the wagon of Federique. But he protected Federique. So all the feds stick to only feds, right? But we're not talking regular feds. I want you guys to know that we have really good people, really good people within uh, our federal government working for us every day. I don't want to um, bundle them all up into this hot mess uh, that we see. Leadership does not um, reflect those in rank and file, which is unfortunate because that's what leadership should be doing. A leader should be. Um, a reflection of those that are underneath him or her. So I would have to say that I know there's a lot of people there. Many of them are sitting pretty and quiet for specific reasons, right? But others are just pussies because they could step up and I tell them that all the time. And I know there's a lot in the NSA. Come on, you guys, you guys want to take down Brennan? Let's do this the right way. Like, why are we, why are we playing these games? When we could get this all out, maybe, you know, I'm going to keep my mouth shut because I'm not supposed to say stuff like that. So there, I think my silence said it all there. So, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. All right. So let's move on to a little bit of a history lesson now that we, you guys have an update tomorrow will be, I, I guess I, 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 I'm, I, I, knowing my lawyer, I'm pretty sure that, um, He's probably going to be like, hey, um, I don't know why they're calling it a status conference in air quotes, because that's not what it is. And they're pushing the judge to make a decision when they should not be doing it. That's the one thing. Even if a judge is perceived to be unfavorable, you don't push him to do shit. Right. That's you sticking your foot in your mouth, which I'm really happy for because it feels like these attorneys and these companies are like the gift that keeps on giving. And you know, what's really interesting. Carl Rove, John Kerry, um, Gates are the only ones that haven't responded to the subpoena, which means that they have now waived their right to quash the subpoena. <laughs> and, and John Brennan, right? So this is going to be super fun because Jen Psaki responded, but you know, the DOJ was like over a week late. So the law is the law. Therefore, you know, she could use her power in the office that she's in now with the white house and pull out all those papers outside of Linux, you know, created IG of the state department, you know, 
<laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I just, it's really enjoyable. I like this. And you know, you guys are probably going to be, my listeners are going to be probably the only people that are going to get this and be like, dude, this isn't breaking news. This is old news. Because I want you guys to have that. To be like telling people that you have conversations with that are newly woke. No, no, no. Wait a minute. I knew this from before. Let me tell you. Let me explain it to you. Right. Let me explain it to you. And you'll be like, so two years ago, we were discussing this. And when this case becomes mainstream, because everyone's going to want to be my friend then. And that's where I'm going to be like, fuck you. Um, you guys can explain to them, hey, this is how it started. It started in August of 2021. It went like this. It went like that. And you guys are going to lead the way in regards to the news because you got it. And everyone else is just playing sloppy seconds. And you get to say that. Just saying. You guys get to say that. All right. So let's move to what I wanted to talk about. And it's on my Adobe. So this is a document. This document um, is a leaked document from 2011. Uh, This is what you would call kind of like a purchase order (laughs) of Intel. And so the purchase order that you are watching, just to make it quick, uh, indicates who's going to be part of this, which is, you know, the DIA, European Command, and the CIA. And they want human intelligence that, um, you know, they will have collections uh, relating to USA, Australia, Canada, UK, and New Zealand. As you can see, <laughs> nothing's changed. And alternative versions of requirements have been asked to OSC. So that's it, right? Here's what the order was. The order is... Analysts in CIA's Office of Russian and European Analysis, OREA, closely watched the October 9th and October 16th socialist primaries and will be closely monitoring the April 22nd and May 6th, 2012 presidential elections. Of particular interest is President Sarkozy, the Socialist Party, and other potential candidate plans and intentions for those elections. Analysts assess that the Union for Popular Movement, UMP, the current ruling party, is not assured of a winning of is not assured of winning the presidential election. And as a result, analysts are interested in the electoral strategy of the non-ruling parties listed below. Additional information on these topics will help analysts assess and prepare key U.S. policymakers for the post-election French political landscape and the potential impact on U.S.-France relations. Now, here is the list of names. So we have the Socialist Party, the National Front, the Union for Popular Movement, Dominique Strauss-Kahn, Nicolas Sarkozy, Martin Aubry, François Hollande, and Marie Le Pen. See. This is from 2011. She's been on a list, though, from the 80s, and I'll show you why. So what happened at that time? See, when um, when elections happen, our nation is supposedly um, concerned of how that may impact their relationships or whatever, right? And so what they do is they find out everything they can about every candidate that has a chance. Now, Nicolas Sarkozy was not, you know, someone that, um, how would I say, um, was a globalist. 
Yet after getting in, he suddenly became a fanboy of Barack Hussein Obama. Uh, they both had quite a- anti-Semitic rhetoric exchanged. One was actually caught on camera and um, they, the they saw eye to eye in a lot of things regarding that. Now, I want to show you how Sarkozy actually was elected. Now, because I do broadcast this uh, on podcasts, it's important that I um, interpret slash um, read out if it's not spoken. So if that's the case on these videos, and I don't remember, I guess I have a few lined up, which one is which, I may have to lower the volume in French and um, uh, make the commentary in English. But considering this is the Telegraph, this this is from the election in 2012. Okay, take a listen. Okay, I'm going to have to lower the volume and hopefully it won't be too echoey so that um, my listeners on iTunes, iHeart, and radio stations around the world can actually hear what he says in English. Dear friends, dear compatriots, I say to the unions, leave political parties to one side. In the Republic, it is not the unions that governs, it is the government. It is not the unions that make the laws, it is the parliament. And in the Republic, the French Republic, it is the people that decide. And in the Republic, when there is a disagreement, one gives the word to the people. That's the French Republic. So leave the red flag alone. Stay away from political parties. That's the French Republic. That is how French We want big projects for the large country that is France. We don't want jealousy. We don't want angleterrorism. We don't want bitterness. We don't want hatred. We don't want a class war. We don't want socialism. There are three days left. Three days to explain. Three days to convince. Three days to involve people. Three days for everyone to understand that this Sunday, they won't be voting for a candidate, but for themselves. People won't be voting for a candidate, but for their country and for their children. Three days. Three days to win. Long live the Republic. Long live France. That's a great speech. It's too bad he got hijacked later. That was a great speech, right? That is the Sarkozy that everybody knew and loved. That was going to bring change. That was going to end the unions that the European Union brought into the country. Right. I want you guys to see that Europe is going through exactly what you're going through right now as a nation. They already went through it because we did it. Not too proud about that. Now, let me show you how buddy, buddy, um, Sarkozy and Hussein were after his election. But then you're going to see what's going on, too. Here we go. It's pretty interesting. It's quite fascinating. Let's see. An open mic during last week's G20 summit caught President Obama and French President Nicolas Sarkozy complaining about Israel's prime minister, 
according to a report by Reuters. I cannot bear Netanyahu. He's a liar, said Sarkozy. Obama, according to a French interpreter who was translating his remarks, replied, you're fed up with him, but I have to deal with him even more often than you. The president didn't exactly come to the defense of Netanyahu, whom he most recently saw at the U.N. in September. It's not surprising, says Martin Indyk, who served as U.S. ambassador to Israel during the Clinton and Bush administrations. It uh, reveals uh, the inner feelings of, of the president towards Prime Minister Netanyahu. I don't think it's any secret that uh, these two leaders uh, have not gotten on, basically, from their first meeting on. And an Oval Office encounter this past May further revealed the frosty relationship between the leaders. While Israel is prepared to make generous compromises for peace, it cannot go back to the 1967 lines. Netanyahu essentially lecturing a stern-faced President Obama. Today, White House Press Secretary Jay Carney, in an off-camera briefing, would not comment on the open mic gaffe. He instead stressed the president's support of Israel, most recently in opposing a vote to give the Palestinian Authority membership in the UN's cultural agency, UNESCO, a move France supported. America's commitment to Israel's security is unshakable. It's an embarrassing incident as both the U.S. and Israel keep a close eye on regime changes in the Middle East and on the growing threat of a nuclear Iran. But, says Indyk, it may have no real effect on U.S.-Israel relations. It's unlikely that these personality differences that have been highlighted by this uh, mic that wasn't turned off are going to infect the coordination on Iran. If you like, the subject is too serious to be affected by personalities. They agree on the nature of the threat, and they also agree on the way to deal with it. That is by ratcheting up sanctions. Of course, this does give ammunition to President Obama's critics, namely Republicans, who have said he hasn't backed Israel enough. We've heard from the pro-Israel advocacy group, the Anti-Defamation League, expressing disappointment and saying this was an unpresidential exchange. Brianna Keeler, CNN, White, White House. House. See, so at that point, Sarkozy had become like, uh, you know, his little lapdog. But, you know... I did say this is the year of recompense. And so in 2012, he won the election. But here's the deal. What a lot of people don't know is that we were involved. Well, I showed you that, right? I showed you how the United States was involved in meddling and collecting information. And I should reinforce the word meddling. Meddling. Meh. Meddling. meddling is not just getting in between and putting words, but meddling is, I don't know, donating shit or creating organizations that will suddenly donate shit just to fuck you up and give you, uh, you know, have you by the cojones. You're protected as long as they're in power. How do you know they're not in power? Well, simple. They start to fall for shit that happened in 2012. Huh, what? So Sarkozy was elected in 2012, right? Huh? Flipped. And now, 10 years later, you probably missed this. With a bourbon swagger, swagger Nicolas Sarkozy dominated French politics for much of the early 2000s. And I'll be remembered for something else. First ex-president to get a custodial sentence for corruption charges. The news has come as quite a shock to the French. 
everybody expected Nicolas Sarkozy to get away with either a fully suspended sentence or be acquitted on some technicality. Uh, and so uh, this really came as a shock because he's the, the first former president to be sentenced to prison. Vive la République et vive la France! Sarkozy was found guilty of trying to bribe a judge, offering him a top job in return for information about an investigation into him. Disgrace for a man who was known for his brash and showy style of leadership as president and for his marriage to supermodel and singer Carla Bruni, who sent him a message of sympathy via Instagram. What a senseless witch hunt, my love, she wrote in French. The fight will continue. The truth will see the light. Hashtag injustice. We will appeal again this decision. The president, of course, disputes the sentence. We're both unable to understand and indignant about the sentence. Indignant because if you've attended these few weeks of hearings like me, the feeling we have today, listening to the case delivered by the court, is that this decision is totally out of step with the hearing. From 2007 to 2012, Sarkozy strutted the world stage alongside fellow leaders as French president. He now joins the select group of ex-leaders tainted by corruption, from Italy's Silvio Berlusconi to Jacques Chirac, who received two years' suspended sentence for misdeeds committed as mayor of Paris. Sarkozy claimed he was a victim of unfair persecution by investigators. He protested his innocence and intends to appeal. If he fails, the judge says he can avoid jail by wearing an electronic bracelet at home, taking him from ex-president Okay, did you hear that? So the president, the former president of France is in jail. Now, I want you to hear from last year because he was just put in jail a few weeks ago. I want you to hear from last year from Turkish television what they had to say about that. See, you don't know this stuff because nobody's telling you this stuff. He wasn't there to hear the verdict. Nicolas Sarkozy could be forgiven for being rather sick of the inside of French courtrooms. In the latest case he's faced, the former president was found guilty of illegal election financing and given a one-year sentence, a term he'll be allowed to spend at home under house arrest. This case referred to his re-election campaign of 2012, one he lost to Francois Hollande. The court found that Sarkozy had authorized massive overspending on his campaign, totaling around $54 million, double the amount that was legally allowed. He denied the charges, saying he was too busy running the country to be in charge of the campaign money, something the court disagreed with. It's been quite a downfall for the man who led this country for five years until 2012. Sarkozy's been facing down a barrage of legal issues over the last few years. In March, he became the first former president to receive a custodial sentence after being found guilty of corruption but he remains free pending an appeal. His lawyers say he'll also appeal the verdict handed down in this trial. President Sarkozy has never asked to be treated better than anyone else, but has no reason to be treated worse. The sentence pronounced is the maximum penalty allowed, even though no court may hand down a maximum penalty when the defendant, which is his case today, has never been convicted. 13 co-defendants were also found guilty of various charges, including complicity in the illegal campaign financing.
Sarkozy remains a popular figure, especially with those on the right of the political spectrum, and is known to be close to President Emmanuel Macron. But his legal issues may not be over. Prosecutors are looking into allegations that his 2007 campaign was funded illegally by the former Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi, a man who was once one of the world's most powerful leaders, is likely to be spending a lot more time in a French courtroom over the years to come. Francis Collins, TRT World, Paris. So weird. It's almost as if, you know, it was like a setup because they had the exact, you know, information they needed, right? And they needed some specific information. What was it? Let's look at it again. So when did this start? Oh, it started on the 21st of November and it ended in July of 2012 after and the order would expire on the 29th of <laughs> and look at all the people that compiled all that information right here. Let's see. Can we highlight? Yes. Look at all the nations that help compile all of this information. Wait, let's look at all the uh, agencies that um, obviously it's DIAUSC.com and we've got, we should make that darker, super darker. Can we make that darker, darker, make it red. There we go. <laughs> There we go, right? It almost seems like he was set up. I wonder who this is. Hmm? I wonder who they are. Hmm? I wonder. There he is. The target. You see? That's what they do. So, they probably, oh my gosh, you guys can't see it. Shoot. I'm sitting here highlighting, making it dark. Here are the dates. Let's go. This one. Let's... It's, um, that's when they started the campaign was in full swing, right? And then they stopped covering at that time. And then it would expire on September. That's after everything was set in stone. It's so weird. Look at all those agencies that were in. Look at all those countries, right? <laughs> so weird. So bizarre, isn't it? Almost as if they knew what they needed to do to ensure that uh, he gets done in. And then he had Macron kissing him. God, those Judas kisses, right? That's what they do, Judas kisses. <laughs> Boy, God knows I've had many of those. Many, many of those. You see that? And you know why? Because he shouldn't have said, we're going to drop the unions. He shouldn't have turned his back on Barack Hussein Obama because they bit him in the ass. But now he's going to jail because he complied. And then he decided to wake up. I don't know. You tell me. We should, we should take a look at how <laughs> all these things play out. So. I want you guys, though, to listen to who he was before Barack Hussein Obama got a hold of him. Because, see, we think that, oh, this is terrible. It's happening in our nation. And, you know, how does this happen? And it's like, guys, they already had a dry run in Europe. They tore nations that are older and have longer standing history than the United. Remember, we're babies compared to these nations. OK, they've been around for centuries. We've been around for like almost three. 
We're, we're trying to get to three. Okay. They've been around for thousands of years and we fuck them. You think they won't topple a nation like us? They can't because this is where the problem is. They try to hijack something that was organic. They try to hijack something that was meant to liberate the people and allow them to have this organized chaos of free will and to be organized by the people and not by leaders. So they're finding it really difficult. But here's his interview with Charlie Rose. This is a really good one. This is only three minutes, but it tells you everything you need to know about Turkey because, you know, she's coming into focus a lot lately. I mean, World War III is over there, so why not? At CharlieRose.com. Why are you opposed to full EU membership for Turkey? For a very simple reason. C'est que la Turquie n'est pas en Europe. Turkey's not in Europe. La Turquie, c'est l'Asie mineure. Turkey is Asia Minor. Et par conséquent, il n'y a pas de raison que l'Asie so mineure soit no reason why Asia Minor should be part of Europe. Comment pouvez-vous me poser cette question? How can you even ask me that question? Tous les pays européens All sont of the en European Europe. Je veux rassembler la famille européenne. Europe. I want to bring together the whole family of Europe before we move on to uh, Asia. It's all very well to say uh, there's going to be stability in Turkey, but if that comes uh, at the uh, cost of destabilization in Europe, well, there are already 27. That's the point. You believe that if Turkey is part of the EU, it will create destabilization. That's the real point. Yes. Pas parce qu'ils sont musulmans. Not because they're Muslim. Parce que la Turquie, c'est 75 millions d'habitants aujourd'hui. Turkey, there are 75 million inhabitants so now. There'll be 100 million in 25 years. Que la Turquie, c'est une culture, une civilisation très grande par ailleurs, mais qui n'est pas européenne. Culture, but it's not a European one. Pourquoi devrions-nous construire l'Europe avec des pays qui ne sont pas européens. Je suis en faveur d'un accord avec la Turquie, d'un marché avec la Turquie, mais d'intégrer la Turquie dans l'Europe, non, et je ne pense pas que c'est une bonne chose pour les Turcs. Qui veut l'intégration de la Turquie dans l'Europe Ceux qui ne veulent pas une Europe politique, c'est qui Les États-Unis, M. Bush, les États-Unis, M. Blair Mais moi, je crois à l'union politique. I believe in political moi, je union. crois à l'Europe politique. I believe in political moi, je crois à l'Europe de l'intégration. I believe in the Europe of integration. Moi, je crois à l'Europe où on met I en believe commun l'économie, culture et la politique. What about NATO? Mais la Turquie ne fait pas partie de l'Europe. Mais, but pardon, is not est-ce part que le Mexique fait partie des Excuse États-Unis? Me, but is Mexico part of the United States? No. Ok. Est-ce que l'année là? C'est l'intégration du Mexique. Uh, Alena, is that integration of Mexico? Alors pourquoi voudriez-vous? Oh, but, but, pourquoi but, voudriez-vous but, but, que l'Europe et les États-Unis soient très différents? Ok, ok. There are some who wished Europe was more like the United <laughs> okay. States, and there was a united pourquoi? Europe. But pourquoi voudriez-vous? But why do you expect us to do with the Turks what you're not wanting, wanting to do, willing to do with the Mexicans? Well, because they're well, different. They're different countries, as you know. No. Mexico and the United States. No. But there is no one Europe. Parce que vous considérez you que le Mexique... You're not asking Turkey to become part of France. You're asking Turkey to be a nation-state that's within the European community. That's what you're asking. Do you have a problem with Turkey and NATO? No. No? No. I want an integrated Europe. In other words, a Europe that has borders. Turkey is in Asia Minor. Russia is not Europe either. But the Balkan states, they are part of Europe. I want there to be an agreement with Turkey. Why not? We could have a a common market. Join us online at Too much common sense, right? For 2007, called him a bigot and everything. What? What do you mean you want borders? You know, that quickly changed. 
when Obama got a hold of him, that quickly changed. You know, no, 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 we should bring Turkey into Europe, but it's not part of Europe. Well, what about Mexico? <laughs> you know, could you, like, but Mexico is another country. So the fuck is Turkey? Hello? You see? See, the Europeans really wanted Turkey in there, and it's a good thing that they were never put in there. Because if they had control of Turkey right now, energy would be a hot mess. World War III would have happened in the year 2000. I'm just uh, pointing that out. Okay, just pointing that out. But this was him before his presidency. Then after his presidency, he was Obama's lapdog. And then uh, he was like, you know what? No, this isn't, this isn't working for me because the French are being overrun. We don't have borders, you know, with Greece, what happened? That's what happened. We're, we're talking 2011. It was a hot mess in Europe, a hot mess. Uh, you know, Germany came in claiming land and property from places that they had given loans. The IMF had come in and crushed them all with, uh, you know, getting all these um, Swiss accounts and blackmailing people. Blackmail was gold during that period from 2010 up until 2016. They were blackmailing every single politician they could by pulling out bank records, kids, oh, and pulling out those mines that they had set. So that's that for now on Sarkozy. Now let's go to Marie Le Pen. But to understand Marie Le Pen, I guess we need to go into the past. And we need to understand how her political party was created. And in order to do that, you have to know about a man named Jean-Marie Le Pen. And that man was uh, Marine Le Pen's dad. So... um I believe uh, this one is in French, so I will be reading out um, the subtitles for my listeners. So you should see this. Uh, this is a conversation, listen to this, from 1984. And you're going to say, wait a minute, the guy saying things, we're saying now. I want you to pay attention to it. Um, hopefully there's not much echo les mêmes idées ou bien est-ce que vous avez changé au fil des ans Vous connaissez la règle de notre mission ce n'est pas you know, the rule of mission is not to sh in the show is to showcase questions without complacency we want two answers without much speech and you'll have about a quarter hour each with Elaine Dumel Jean-Louis Servant Scriber which is the CEO and therefore have an hour to answer major problems of interest to the French and we're going to start talking right away so please the first question hold on let me lower the volume a little bit because it's I have to talk louder and I don't want to. Here we go. So let me just give it. So he's telling him how the structure is for the interview and here we go. Vous aurez donc une heure pour répondre sur tous les grands problèmes français et nous allons commencer tout de suite par aller à SVP pour la première question. Alors Jean-Louis Le Sen. So the first question. Y a-t-il des questions 
Good evening, Mr. Le Pen. There's a lot of phone calls tonight. Please, not, um, we'd like to ask you questions. There are many viewers, and I want to encourage you in particular to find out your positions on immigration, but there are many more viewers this evening which um, uh, are condemning your actions of racism, anti-Semitism, and those are the two adjectives of people calling and talking about you. Um, there are several viewers saying that they're that you're in favor of restoring the death penalty and um, uh, about what you think of the bribery cases that are happening. Says, I'm very happy to answer the questions that are put to me. Even though that um, these are first, racism, anti-Semitism, what's generally used by communist press, and that is directly linked to it. Um, it's just disinformation that communism puts out, and somehow people are accustomed to it, um, and they are accustomed to to put it out and it's really hard to get rid of this mask that they apply to your face um, by using terms like that uh, and so this uh, program is giving me the opportunity um, to uh, address these things oh you want me to talk about the death penalty first okay fine you don't want me to address the fact of me with the isms okay well I'm indeed partisan and the death penalty I'm in favor of the application of the death penalty because uh, there are certain arguments being put forward for the abolition of death penalty, and in particular, um, you know, one which would not be a deterrent. Uh, people would not be deterred to do things, and I consider that it's favorably being done for criminals and for murderers, and it's something that shocks me that we're not implementing the rule of law and for in any case where despicable crimes such as murders of children or terrorist crimes for the murders of police officers, I think that it is necessary to have the death sentence there. It's the keystone of our penal system and if it's suppressed as it is being suppressed right now, um, immediately two of the most um, you know, serious violations in the penal code uh, is just uh, life imprisonment and detention at even 20 years years. And everyone knows that a criminal, an assassin condemned to death, who would be executed under the, the laws of the nation in the past, fact, 12, 13 years, in my opinion, is extremely shocking and testifies thanks sincerely. Okay, it skipped a little bit. Hold on, let me pause it. So let me explain to what he's saying. So just so you guys understand the penal system in France. So if you get, um, so first of all, they constantly called him anti-Semitic and racist and xenophobic. They use the communist punch points, right? But I wanted to say that what he was trying to explain is the penal system in um, France is, say, like, for example, I go out and commit murder, right? And I get put into jail. Well, life imprisonment is literally a maximum of 26 years. It's not your whole life. And then if you're on good behavior, you're out in 20. So what he's saying is if we're not going to be giving these death penalties, right, we're going to have people committing murders of children and cops and other heinous crimes to children, uh, you know, and they're not going to be worried about it. See, so that's the way it is. Um, in France, say, for example, a murder happens and I'm on the street, right? And for some reason, I've picked up the knife off the floor because I was being curious or nosy. They'll throw me in jail and then they'll be like, well, we're going to figure it out, right? 
Well, you could sit there. They can only hold you in jail for about 12 to 18 months without trial. Then if they don't trial you, they let you go and you never go back to jail. That's a way where they intimidate people. This is what they used to do for political prosecution. Actually, it's a normal habit for most nations in Europe to do that. Then if you get life in prison, it's literally like 20 years. So everybody knows that you're out in 20. Even if you commit murder, rape a kid, kill a kid, kill a cop, rape a cop, you know, whatever you do, you're out in 20. So what he was complaining is now this is 1984. He's like, we're getting rid of the death penalty so we can serve criminals. And what people are saying, they're upset with me with the death penalty because, you know, um, it doesn't deter people. Remember back then they didn't have these mellow yellow injections. There was firing squads hanging and you did not, and maybe electric chairs that didn't work. So it wasn't something that people liked. Okay. So I just wanted to um, show you Marine Le Pen's dad, just a little bit of this um, interview. It's, it's, it's highly important that people read up on things. And, and the reason I'm bringing it up is because Marine, you're going to see her um, with her dad in the next video. Um, but it is really important that we understand that these conversations that we are having now about immigration, about these isms that are being used in order to shut people up are communist tools. And he called that out in 1984. This is from 1984. And this is because this man was refusing to uh, dis dissolve the borders of his nation in the name of the European Union that was agreed when he didn't want to. And remember, this man was alive for World War II. This man also, he, he had balls. He went to the European Parliament and said, you know what, the, the camps where they killed all the Jews, that's a detail. That's a detail in the whole war that you all orchestrated. And then all of us, these nations, had to pay for that. And because he called it a detail, they called him anti-Semitic. What he was saying is, those are details. You're pulling the little thing, and it's not little that they killed all those people, right? But they're not talking about what the war was intended for and why they let it happen. So it's it's quite fascinating. And because of him, they actually enforce the law saying that if you refuse to acknowledge the crimes that happened, which he never did, he never not acknowledged the crimes and the atrocities of killing all the Jewish people. He never did. Right. But what he said was that was orchestrated by the very nations that supposedly orchestrating to stop it and that is what he said because he's like i know because we were stuck with the bill and so for that reason they painted him anti-semitic and this is from 1984 february 1984 okay let's continue just a little bit more the leaders of our society have are incapacitated to face the aspiration of the most fundamental values of our people, which is the aspiration for primary security of freedoms. So I'd like a face-to-face -face with Alain Mel, who will come and sit in front of you. You didn't answer, answer on the barbecue case doesn't interest me any more than it would interest the French people. And I would like to say on this occasion, you know, how scandalized I am to see that um, on TV, 
where I'm not there, my name and my photograph is often associated with parades of the German army or with a photo with Hitler or other photos of the same kind. I say that is scandalous as are scandalous the demonstrations which take shelter behind the memory of the dead for France or the dead in deportation. Jean-Marie Le Pen has absolutely nothing to do with all of this. The name Le Pen is inscribed on a monument of Georges Marchais and the measurement factory during the war. So no, Le Pen is not uh, a Nazi, is basically what he's saying. Why your name is actually associated with it, but um, the question to put by the Jewish students who are there in the street and who represent France is the chance that the editions of the billhook, which your owner diffuses Nazi songs, speeches and portraits. One of the rare politicians I am, I earn a living as an ordinary professional life. And that is to say, to earn a living, I founded a publishing company. I'm in this capacity a phonographic editor. I specialize in the editing of sound documents and in particular of everything that has happened in the history of the world of Europe and France for 40 years. Practically, if there's sound and it's there, it's true. It's on your TV. It's on your radio. Anywhere. My, you are my customers. And to avoid discs, more than 12 to 30 centimeter discs, they devoted either their whole history to the sound document, either political or social folklore. I had collected all of those documents. And it's obviously that one is a publisher and a free publisher. It is to say they do not submit to any pressure to one gives to historical past of Europe, France, and the world. Let me explain. So here's what happened here. He is a publisher. Actually, he does audio collections. So he has audio and video for the past 40 years of world historic documents. So what they were starting to send out was Jewish students saying, Le Pen is racist because here's what he does. He records and he saves Nazi speeches, what the Nazis did, the video footage. He records that history when it's racist and it's anti-Semitic. And he's like, listen, dude, I'm not your normal politician. I got my own company. I have your shows, your radio shows, all the shit that's around Europe and around the world that's audiovisual. I actually put it together. I am a businessman and that is my job to archive anything that might be um, phonographic, which means, you know, a voice um, or anything else. So um, uh, this is basically what he was explaining to them. And I wanted to show you just how they go after you. This sounds very, very familiar. They go after, oh, so you're rich by making money off of Nazi speeches. And he's like, well, Nazi speeches are part of history. And I've got over 40 years of world history. And it just happens to have Nazis in there because that's part of freaking history. So don't call me anti-Semitic because I record history. I even have your TV channel recorded. So I'm pointing out that nothing that you saw over the few years hasn't happened already. So now let's go to um, the next video I want to show you. This is from 1986. And here he is with his daughters. Marie Le Pen is, um, um, you can see her in her 80s outfits. Here we go. Is it low? Let me see if there's 
Campagne électorale, à noter une phrase de M. Fabius, si nous avions six mois de plus avant les élections, nous serions assurés du succès. Ce soir, dans notre série de portraits de campagne, Fernand Tavares nous fait entrer chez Jean-Marie Le Pen. So they went to the house of Jean-Marie Le Pen. Père de trois filles. He's a father of three daughters, 17, 22 and 26. And the president of the National Front. Let me lower the volume so it doesn't confuse my podcast listeners. Sorry, guys. So he has all his daughter there. Uh, by the way, for those of you that are watching, Maureen is the one in blue. Um, you could tell. So getting together with his family is rare because they're so, you know, he's so busy. Um, he regained his freedom as a result. Father-child relationship has changed families. Um, the dad's often the boogeyman, one who nevertheless threatens the children if they do something wrong and it's not good enough. Oh, but they don't seem to be afraid of you. And he's like, no, you know what I mean. She says, um, I'm really proud. I'm really proud, really happy to call uh, me Le Pen, that I am a Le Pen. And more that he's my father. And my father never forced us to think anything. Um, he practically told us, you know, for politician, that we can think the way we want. Um, he decided on his own. He's nice. He has a fun attitude. He dances. Um, and... The European deputy and the president of the group, Jean-Marie Le Pen, in the Parliament of Strasbourg, monitors very closely all the questions relating to immigration, as well as the recent proposal for authorizing the free movement of people within the community. He expect he expressed reservations um, entirely in favor of opening borders within our own countries, but we are on the contrary in favor of certain definitions, European borders and strict control of migration that could come from outside. We would be overwhelmed by immigration if we did not put very strict controls there. This is to the determent not only of our own independence, but even to the determent, and it would be dire for the world. So the National Front was put into the European Deputy of Romanian origin. He's not a spy in the pay of Eastern countries. To spy on what? A parliament which has absolutely no power and which devotes its time to voting on humanitarian resolutions, provided that it concerns problems that are happening in Chile, Nicaragua. <laughs> okay, I have to tell you guys the story behind this, because I remember when um, I came across this. So Le Pen had a guy working for him on the National Front that was sitting at, par at the Parliament, the European Parliament with him. And they were like, oh my God, he's Romanian. You know, Romania wasn't part of the European Union at the time. Oh my gosh, he's a spy. And he's like, spy on what? The Parliament? The Parliament here has absolutely no power over our nations, which is true. Um, the European Parliament is just a sham. You guys had heard Nigel Farage say it. And then he turned around and say, what is he going to spy on? Us talking about humanitarian efforts. Oh, and guess this, in places like Chile or Nick Nicaragua that aren't even around here where you just give them money like this is stupid like what is he going to do say oh they're going to be giving money to this nation you know on the other side of the planet and that's basically how they were treating him they were constantly calling him racist a Swiss sailor had transmitted the plans of a Swiss submarine the human being during his campaign meetings pleads a certain number of prize okay and then Plutôt que de combat, Jean-Marie Le Pen préfère parler philosophie. Être français d'abord, c'est quel sentiment 
So, okay, so then they were talking about the Swiss guy who had leaked plans of a Swiss submarine. So it was really weird. And they were trying to paraphrase it. Now, um, Le Pen, um, Jean-Marie Le Pen, which is Marine Le Pen's dad, would always push the fact of France first, French first. Right. And he would say, you know, we need to be thinking about this clearly. France should be coming first. You should be proud for our ancestors and what has been bequeathed to us and also proud of the task, which is ours, to make sure that our country can continue to influence and therefore bring to the world the humanist culture of which we are the way and vectors and aids. Um, and to, well, basically, he's just saying to, to give him France stuff, you know, French stuff, like we're the French and we've been around for a long time and, and this is how it should be. Um, and France should go first. It sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Do- totally familiar. Oh, my gosh. I just popped into. Um, <laughs> thank you for the rants. I just um, am looking at your rumbles to see but as you can see these conversations that we've been having over the past six years were happening in the 80s in europe because in europe what happened the european union created the states and then dissolved their borders meaning there are really no borders they have like pretend border patrol but there are real there aren't any borders it's like state to state we don't have any borders and what we're seeing right now with the AGs and the governors and all this pissing on everyone. The problem that they have with the United States is that we have state constitutions. And the problem that they have with the United States is that each state has its own way of voting as well. And this is why they're trying to push the federalization vote. Because if you can federalize the vote, then you can eradicate the borders because by, by, by way of court, it'll say, well, in order to be voting, you have to be a sovereign entity. And if you're not in control of your voting, then the federal government's the sovereign entity. I'm just making a very loose argument, but I'm just trying to point to you how they do it. Now, I want to show you um, Le Pen's, um, Marine Le Pen's um, report on the National Party and what they had to say about her evolving. Hold on. Give me a second. This is French TV. All right. Uh, National Rally Park in France 24. Jordan Bardella uh, saying Marine Le Pen has evolved over the years. Nicholas. She's evolved. You're not the same on your third election bid as you are on your first. But I think our plan now is socially fair, judicially serious and practical, and politically concrete. She's evolved on certain topics because we found better ways to serve French people. Our approach to the European Union isn't perhaps the same as it was five years ago, when we had a stark and confrontational approach. Now that the global context has changed and society has changed since 2017, we have to take into account realities in France. Now they're embracing her in a sense, but not really. They're giving her airtime because she's up there. She's leading. She's actually leading. She's going to win this election. That's if we don't go and rig it. We got to keep an eye on that, you know, side all and... Biden stuff going on. You know what I mean? Maybe we'll see some riots. Who knows? Right? Maybe we'll see some riots. Here's here's what they had. 
Here's what they have to say. Here's the latest news on this. Hold on a second. Let's pull this up. Interesting. Now in France, President Emmanuel Macron and nationalist Marine Le Pen are headed for that runoff in the presidential election. It takes place in the 24th, the second round. There's a TV debate on the 20th. It's a rerun, of course, of their 2017 contest. Um, The implications of this are likely to reverberate across Europe, particularly if Marine Le Pen wins. Let's go to Paris now. Karen Conan standing by. Karen, we are through the first round. We are whittled down to two candidates. It's exactly the same as 2017. Walk us through the differences between now and then and how these two candidates are going to have to adapt what they're doing as they head towards the 24th. This is a rematch of the 2017 elections, but it is not a remake because this time around, the run of polls actually show that the race between Emmanuel Macron and Marine Le Pen has become much tighter. And one reason for that is that Marine Le Pen has been very good at placing the issue of inflation, especially energy inflation and the issue of purchasing power, the cost of living at the heart of her campaign. She's also been traveling up and down the country, meeting with the French while Emmanuel Macron was too busy on the diplomatic front with the war in Ukraine. So clearly, Emmanuel Macron, uh, this time around, between the two rounds, will have to hit the campaign trail again. Something he's already started uh, doing today by going to the north of France, which is a region where Marine Le Pen had the most votes in the first round. Caroline, you really mentioned that focus in on the domestic spending picture. I'm curious, though, as she kind of re-strategizes, are Le Pen's efforts enough to widen her base and eventually get elected? I was at Le Pen's uh, headquarters, he, her rally last night for this first round, and uh, clearly the supporters were thinking that this time she could actually make it. She's never been so close uh, of winning a presidential elections. It's very different from 2017 when Emmanuel Macron had a landslide victory of 66% uh, in the runoff. This is definitely going to be tighter. She needs to go out there and get uh, the hard left voters, those who voted for the country who came third, Jean-Luc Mélenchon. Uh, he actually uh, said that not a single vote in the runoff should uh, go to Le Pen, but he stopped short of endorsing Emmanuel Macron uh, for the runoff. So uh, it's going to be key because he had about 22% uh, of uh, the votes in this first round. So where are these electorate, uh, where are these electors going to go uh, for the runoff is going to be key. And another thing that's going to be key to watch, of course, is the debate on April 20. Last time in 2017, Marine Le Pen was not very good in the debate. This time she might be more prepared. Bloomers, Carolyn Conan, live from Paris. Thank you so much for bringing us that reporting as always. She wasn't that strong. (laughs) I think she was. I think she was. Now, in 2020, when she started gearing up for election, she said, something very important that you should hear because they're at the cusp of breaking the chains based on the fact that the United States is trying to break the chains. So here's what she, here's what she says. Public opinion has changed for a long time. If you oppose mass immigration, if you argued that you needed, um, 
borders to take control of your borders, you were automatically labeled racist, xenophobic, and other brutal insults. Today, everyone is perfectly aware of this. The demand and control over immigration without being driven by feelings of racism and xenophobia. They're seeing the impact of it. I no longer believe in the left and right split. In reality, they've all had the same policies for years. She called the Uniparty, didn't she? Right. Today, there's a new split between globalists and the people, nationalists, those who have a post-national vision. The nation no longer exists with borders, any purpose, as if everyone is at home anywhere they like. But nationalists like us, the nation is incredibly precious. La nation est un bien incroyablement précieux pour les peuples. For people, it's the only way to guarantee security, to protect the identity of the people and build prosperity. I see this split in the U.S., in Great Britain, which, um, most, um, which most symbolizes the old left and right split. I see the same in Italy and across the world. And she's right, you guys. It's not about left and right. It's about, do you want a nation or not? Are you a globalist or do you love your nation? She said it best. And this is probably why, thank God, thank God, um, Frank LaRose in the state of Ohio um, coerced or bullied or gave the, red, the green lights. <laughs> I want to say red because they got screwed over um, to have the uh, directors of the board of elections of these counties that um, didn't even count my signatures. They just invalidated my petition when they legally had no right. They broke the law. And I'm glad because now I'm running as an independent and I'm going to run on that anti uni party <laughs> um, notion. It's all about, do we want security as a nation? Do we want to be called Americans or do we want to be called global citizens? Do we want to be part, be part of a planet or do we want to be part of our nation? Do we want to raise an American flag or do we salute some guy halfway around the world we don't know and we didn't elect? This is where it comes down to. And France um, has shown that they've come up. Now, huh, the guy that almost almost beat Le Pen is so salty that he fucked up. You know, he should have endorsed her for change. But again, it's a left and right thing. And she's in the middle saying, no, nah, it's a, it's a France or globalist thing. And that's the thing. We are supposed to be the people of the United States of America. I don't need to be a global citizen. Right. I don't need someone, you know, in Pakistan making laws for me because I don't have the history. I don't have the same wants, needs and uh, objectives that someone in Pakistan does, let alone I don't want someone in Mexico doing it for me. Right. Because I'm used to waking up in the morning and working until the evening and then going to bed. But in Mexico, you get siestas. Right. I'm just saying, I, I love siestas. Don't get me wrong. I, would, I totally love siestas. But the thing is, we, that's the problem. 
We cannot have a global government because we are not all on the same page. And that's a good thing. Again, I bring the simple example. One room with 10 people wearing the same outfit, saying the same things, minding their words the same way, same shoes, eat the same shit for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you give them a problem to solve. Like, uh, you know, how do you fit a dollar bill into a water bottle? They will all sit there and find one solution after debating and debating and debating. Then you have a room with 10 people that are completely different. Some are men, some are women, some identify as furniture, a dog, non-binary, nobody gives a shit. Some wear heels, some wear flip-flops, Birkenstocks, some clip their nails, some don't. Some have armpit hair, some don't, right? They wear all the colors of the rainbow. They subscribe to any religion they want, and they could give two shits if they offend you. But guess what? You give them the same problem, those people will come up with a million solutions, and the one solution that they agree on will be the best one ever, because they have different perspectives and therefore they can contribute. This is how you have innovation. The only people that innovate are the people that think outside the box. The only times that we have innovation or change for good of humanity is if a lot of people get together and they throw ideas. This is what we call brainstorming. You can't brainstorm if you all talk the same, look the same, walk the same, think the same, pray the same. That's if you're allowed to pray, right? So this is it. This is exactly it. The bottom line right now is do we stick to the parties or do we stick to the facts? The facts are we want a nation. We want our baseball games and Cracker Jacks. We want our cowboys, our trucks, our guns, our ATVs. We want our urban areas, you know, that smell like pee and have rats in the sewer. That's all of America. We want our crass, you know, ratchet people on the strip. Uh, You know, we want our, what is that called? The best thing I've ever had. Milk, uh, milk punch in, you know, New Orleans right? Which is bourbon and milk slushy, like so good. Um, We want all these things. We want these things that are American, that remind you of America. And we want to stick to the principles that we rule our nation and nobody rules us. We can't do that if there's global government. If we have a global government, we have leaders that we don't know, we don't even probably, we probably don't even speak their language and they consider us stupid because we had everything and we let it go. If that actually happens, this is why the future looks back on this time and says, gosh, people are so stupid. Wake up. Le Pen is saying exactly what we should be saying to each other. When confronted with someone on votes and what to do, we should say, well, it's a simple choice. I'm going to vote for the person that puts America first, that wants us to have secure and safe borders, that wants to allow people to identify however the fuck they want, right? We don't care. I don't care what you do behind closed doors. You know, I don't care if you identify as furniture. Really, I don't. It doesn't affect me, okay? It affects you. What we need to be looking at is our nation. Why am I paying 
millions of dollars to another country, kind of like Le Pen's dad said. We're sitting here and making deals to give money to Nicaragua. This is in the 80s, you guys. They were fleecing the Europeans back then. They were organizing things back then. Now, many might say, like Sarkozy or others that have come and gone, uh, will she flip? Do you forget who her father is? Do you forget that she grew up in an environment where she was told this was happening and probably sarcastically said, shut up, dad, as she was teasing her hair and saw it all unfold. I can tell you from family and friends that live in France, they don't recognize France anymore. Their staple food is no longer a staple food. It's something different depending on whatever, you know, migrant community has moved in. It's no longer French. They're not forced to speak French. They have no borders. Anybody can come in and squat and they have no rights and they can't tell other people they don't have rights because that would be racist. So again, it's the way you raise your kids. Are they dumb? Well, then that's your fault. Maybe you didn't raise them correctly. Maybe you didn't, you know, say, hey, you know, borders are really important. You know, we hold weapons. In case the government tries to get any funny ideas, that's the whole reason that we have a Second Amendment. And I'm not trying to dog on people that may have not pushed those ideas, right? But don't forget, I worked for all these. You want to see globalists? I was one of them, okay? I'm actually one of them. I consider myself a glomad, right? Like a global nomad, right? Because all I did was travel around the world, I felt I had easy access. I had the same stupid full entry card that, 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 that Hunter had. That just means that, you know, you're cleared to go through whatever airport. It's not really that fancy, right? But it, as you travel around the world, you can see that the world is no longer different. You go to Italy to enjoy the Spanish steps. Now you're harassed with whatever Eritrean migrants have squatted around the corner there and they'll rob you. You can't go into the McDonald's, you know, on Della Corso anymore because, you know, you've got people sleeping outside or pissing against the walls. And, uh, you know, there's no control over that because they've just let them all in. I'm, I'm just I'm pointing things out. They're taking down statues and monuments that are oppressive. Why would you take historical monuments like what are they going to do? Dismantle the Parthenon? Should we take down the Louvre? I mean, they did burn down Notre Dame. Are they just going to take it all down like they did in the United States where they stripped all these monuments? Are they going to make us one with Canada and with Mexico? I mean, with our Canadians, we share a lot. And, you know, to be Canadian, it's kind of confusing. I say it's confusing. They have a queen, but they don't. They have French influence, but they don't. And yet they're more American at heart than anything. Because the, the, I think our patriotism and our freedom has rubbed off on them, even though they're technically subjects of the crown. Now, the Mexicans, they really don't give a shit. Okay? They don't, they don't want to, to hang with the gringos, as they say, right? You know? We're, we don't know hard work. We don't work. We're lazy. We're lazy and fat to them. Because they work. They actually work. So, as these elections are coming in, no matter who's on your ticket, under what color, banner, or whatever they're flying under, you should always think, how is this going to help my community? How is it going to help my neighborhood? How is it going to help my city? How is it going to help 
my state and how is it going to help my state in respect to the rest of the nation? That's the thing. That's what we should be voting on. People still vote straight party tickets, like fuck your party tickets. And I guess that's why they have primaries because they want people to show up and be like, yeah, give me the party. You know, it is one of the biggest scams. I mean, the only way to destroy it is to get rid of it. Maybe we should, right? Just saying. Um, let me, <laughs> I want to say something, but I'll leave it. Here is a clip I wanted to show you from 2017 of what she told Macron. Socialists, you're going to say, well, it costs nothing. It's the state that pays. I'm not saying that. Let me tell you the truth. Everybody will have an increase in purchasing power, except the richest retirees. Well, obviously, Mr. Macron obviously criticizes for this. I have uh, very significant uh, measures to boost spending power through a reduction of 10% of the first uh, three income tax uh, brackets uh, by um, increasing the benefits for uh, uh, widowers that were scrapped by the socialists because they could have done uh, made an effort on that by making overtime hours uh, free of tax, uh, clear measures for purchasing power bonuses for um, employment uh, below 1,500 euros that I financed through imports and not via tax, reduced uh, energy prices uh, down 5% because there have been successive hikes that are weighing on the budget of families. I'm boosting small pensions because you're going to knock the... No, I will be increasing the small retirement pensions. ...in a situation for many of them that is really uh, terrible. They just can't make ends meet, and they uh, continue to bear the brunt uh, of uh, additional measures and sacrifices. Uh, you said, right, housing benefit. We're not going to continue to fund 20 million um, of these housing benefits. If you reduce that, well, you see that uh, there are some who will no longer be able to find a home. And for the young people, the under 27s, they need to have their housing benefit increased by 25%. And also, I'm thinking the families, you're not really thinking much about the families. The families, by uh, restoring family um, benefit, family allowance, that was cut. The government that you were a member of, the socialist government that reduced that, and to revert to uh, universal uh, child allowance uh, that for all the families have had to bear the brunt of all the measures of the government that you um, took part in on their budget. Yes, I mean, that's the principle of universality, absolutely. So, you see, I mean, I'm the candidate of spending power. You, Mr. Macron, you're the candidate of uh, the power to buy, to buy France, uh, to uh, break it up. But it's important to know the philosophy. Everything's for sale. Everything's uh, can be bought. Men can be bought and uh, sold. Uh, and Mr. Berger, one of your um, supporters, mentioned you only see human relations in terms of what it brings in, in terms of the dividends that can be derived from that. It's not all my vision. I believe that uh, giving 
the efforts that are made by volunteers in um, association helpers, eight million that I'll turn to to give an additional um, trimester. Otherwise, the eight million helpers wouldn't be able to uh, bear that cost. The voluntary sector that's often forgotten that's one of the key components of our French identity. You realize in my vision, Mr. Macron, not everything is for sale, not everything is bought, not everything is the subject of a uh, financial measure, financial statistics. Some France is far more. Than You're right. That was their debate in 2017. I think she did well, but you heard she did wrong. They called her an anti-Merkel. They called her, uh, you know, Hitler. They called her everything you want to say. They've called her all the names. And that's the problem that we have. The people are just calling people names all the time. And like one listener um, through Facebook said, Malcolm X said it best. The media is the most powerful entity on earth. They have the power to make the innocent guilty and make the guilty innocent. The media has power to influence minds, ideas, behaviors, and attitudes of the masses. That cannot be more true. But one thing is for sure, man on its own is driven by two things only, either love or fear. And unfortunately, right, uh, we see in our society, especially in our political hierarchies, I say, or our spectrums of media or e any social circles you may have from community that you can observe from your local community to your city, state or federal. It's not the titles that someone is given that gives them honor, but it's the men that honor the titles. You can name someone a director of anything and they're a piece of shit. Therefore, that title is bullshit. Hence the fact that not my president, right? Not my president. Biden's called the president, doesn't act like one. Therefore, he doesn't deserve it at all. And, you know, as we come to this point where we're in a we're feeling like something's up and it's definitely coming up. It's going to be pretty sharp and hurts. I can feel the undertone. It's Judah season. But understand, if your will is great, and you have faith, the difficulties are nothing. They are absolutely nothing. But the dangerous part is, is that even though we know that men are driven by two things, either love or fear, they, can, they can't exist at the same time. We must always choose and remember, people feel safer in fear than they do in love. And that has been conditioned on us in society for a very, very long time. You know, people are too scared and, you know, <laughs> to, to, to act on love alone. To act on love alone. Like you're doing this for the love of your nation, your children, you know. I would have to say when I hear people saying, well, I'm doing it for my country, right? I'm doing it for my country. I see it really, you know, no, you're doing it for your values. Your values are what you're doing it for because your values 
reflect you. This is why, you know, I had a conversation earlier with someone where they were talking about abortion and how some people will still vote for someone who are open about abortion or whatever. That clearly reflects their values. Oh, that's not that important. They're good on this. It's just the abortion thing. I could look over that. No, you shouldn't. That should be first and foremost. Your values are why you fight. Your values. It's not for your nation. It's not for your kids because those come through your values. You, your values are a reflection of what you want to your nation. Your values are a reflection of what you want in your children. Your values are a reflection of what you want in your life. And so your values are what you fight for. How would I call the moral floor? And the one thing is that I can't fathom with a lot of people is how they have values and they, oh, I'm a person of faith. Where's your faith? When was the last time you walked off a cliff blind? Probably say never. Faith would be you standing up on two legs and raising one. And then I tell you, raise the other one. And you're like, no, I'm going to fall down. Where's your faith? Now, I'm not <laughs> saying everybody go do this. I don't want to be responsible for anyone breaking their hips. But I'm saying this is what faith is, is having the ability to power up those values. Your values reflect you. And all you need is faith to power charge them. Oh, it's within you. If only people could see how inside of them it is, how inside of them it is. Oh, it's so, you know, <clears throat> And you know what's really sad? Speaking on the media part, that everyone sees what you appear to be with titles and whatever and nah, 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 nah. but very few people actually experience you. And I think that's because we don't we shelter our values and we don't wear them on our sleeves and we don't uh, show them because we fear love rather than embrace love. And I say this because a lot of people are scared with all of these things coming out and what's happening and who and what and where. And, you know, today I actually ran into a local thing. I was, I was trying to get some things done because I'm, I'm, I'm traveling this week and um, I was trying to get some things together and I've been procrastinating like nobody's, like any excuse to procrastinate today. I'm not kidding. If I'm not on the phone, my ass was procrastinating today doing stupid shit because I'm really stressing out about this, <laughs> this vacation that I have to do for Hera's 21st birthday, even though it's her 22nd and I've got to like figure it out. It's just a hot mess. Anyway, procrastination was top of my list. So the fact that um, Patrick Byrne popped up on my locals, obviously I was an hour late to his thing was fine. But one thing he said is, is that um, a lot of people are scared to do things. Well, this is what I surmised from what he said. It might have not been what he said. So I'm paraphrasing here. But this is what I interpreted or what I cashed out from his talk was a lot of people have done a lot of things in their lives that they're not proud of. I think he said, hey, look up Patrick Byrne mugshot, <laughs> something like that. And the thing is, um, he's like, but people are too scared of people holding them accountable for shit that they may have done in the past to stand up today. And I've said this so many times over the years. I want people that have fucked up, that have made mistakes, 
that have fallen down, that have failed, because those are the real winners, because they're still here now. And every single mistake, jab, hurt, pain, everything that you've been through is just to have you, you were refined through that fire to be exactly who you are. It's like seasoning a cast iron pan. You don't put soap on that shit. You keep that thing seasoned through torturing it with like high heat to sear your steaks. And you keep that nice tasty part. That salt and pepper hair is experience, right? All of that. That's where you draw your strength from. Your failures, your mistakes, you draw that strength. That's how you do it because the only way you win is by embracing your failures. And don't ever let anyway, because if anyone says, oh, yeah, that guy's like really good. He hasn't had, you know, no troubles and this and, and he's outspoken. Oh, and he's on the, uh, on the TV. Oh, and, and, and you trust him. Oh, yeah, definitely don't. I definitely don't. Someone that can come into life at the age of 40 or 50 and be unscathed is not someone I would say is realistic. I would say the CAA may be paying. <laughs> I would say that would make more sense than, yeah, that person is perfect. And that's the problem. We've been conditioned to think that we need cookie cutter persons to represent American values. And that is not the case. That is not the case. So, um, so tomorrow I will, I believe I'll be doing a show. I may be late or I may be doing it early. I'll see. Cause I do have meetings. Um, but it all depends how fast I drive, <gasps> which by the way, just wanted to share this with you. I'll share pictures, of course, and maybe I'll stream on local. That's even better. So I did tell you guys the last time, you know, obviously when I had no car, I was renting cars, right, for a long time. So I'm a platinum member, I'm just saying. And so I get whatever car I want from Enterprise, like anything. The only thing is, is that they put like big holds on your insurance, but I get that money back immediately on my credit card, you know, a credit card for insurance. So this time, this is the first time at that airport that I booked it. And they were like, hey, could you like send us a copy of your like driver's license and, you know, your insurance because these vehicles are over $90,000. And I'm like, yeah, can I get a Maserati this time? Guys, I want to, I, I want to drive a Maserati so bad. $241 for one. So Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday when I return it. $241. That's pretty cool, right? Right. That's pretty cool. And, um, so, uh, $241, my, m a friend of mine that I'm going to be meeting there that, um, got there yesterday was like, what? I only got this. And I was like, well, you know, so I've already driven a Porsche. I drove the BMW seven series, which is incredible. Like I love that car, but, um, I'm I'm on the fence, so I want to ask um, the group that's listening now. Maybe you can tell me which one should I um, rent? Because they asked me, okay, which version do you want? I was like, whatever it is, it can't be a white color car. And let me find the person's number. Okay, what kind of Maserati would you like? I have SUV and sedan, the Levant and Quadraport, and the Ghibli. Which one should I go for, you guys? And hey, you know, if you think I'm BSing with the rates, you can ask my lawyers. <laughs> like, you don't get that. 
Um, yeah, the seven series is really nice, but I still want to try it. SUV? No, I don't want to do a Lambo because you know what? They're really wide. Um, and Maserati SUV, the, the Ghibli, Ghibli, Quadraport or Levant Viper Maserati, hot shit. God, Ghibli. Okay, I'll do a poll. <laughs> no, I'm looking at it now. Maserati is a Ferrari and a tuxedo. See, that's why I was thinking, should I get a sedan? Because I'm only taking one suitcase. I'm only going for two days. So it's not going to be like I'm getting extra stuff. So, yeah. Sport. Okay, Quadraport. Yeah, we'll see. You know what? I'm going to be like, I'll leave it up to you, boy. Did you just hook me up? I think I'm going to text him that and be like, you just hooked me up. Um, you know, he's probably thinking, wow. Mm. Like I said, I'm super platinum. Like you can't go more platinum than than what I have. Like boom. So I make use of that, and and I'll book cars for for friends too. But I have to be a signer on the car too. So I have to add you as a driver. Um, that's all. Um, so I'm excited. Um, I'll definitely use locals a lot. Um, you know, hopefully with some, you know, I think some of my friends, you guys know, um, you may know, so I may local stream with a couple friends you might know. Um, so tomorrow I was thinking we could talk, um, a little bit Hunter and that's because I'm hoping that during my second flight where it's longer, um, I can put together an article that I've been working on for, like forever and a day. Um, and we can talk about that. If not, we're going to um, figure it out. Um, on, oh, See, I want to like, guys, you know, I'm at the final cut of the uh, documentary right now. And I'm up against the thing that, you know, in a couple weeks, we're going to have, you know, um, Dinesh D'Souza's documentary come out. And I don't want to get shadowed under it or do it right after. So I'm, you know, and I don't want to rush and put it out. But I also kind of do. So uh, a lot of prayers for anyone editing and getting it together. Um, please. Uh, we need it. Because when 2000 Mules comes out, it's going to be talking about election, election, election. And it's going to come out at a time that we're going to be getting hit hard on that. Um, but, um, you know, the CAA, I guess, CIA, you know, enjoy the show needs to come out. So um, maybe I can I can get that out before, I hope. Um, and we can see how that is. Um, on that note, I'll end today because I want to say a few things, but I don't want to go over because I have like early flights, early, early stuff to do. Okay. Let's say it that way. A lot of early stuff to do and then get a flight and I'm going to be late to my own funeral. So I don't need help being late. Um, but I think I should, um, damn it. I really want to talk about it and I, I, I don't want to at the same time. So I'm going to leave it and I'm going to play an oldie. You know which one? One of my favorites. Let's go. God bless. 
to ease my troubled mind I left my body laying somewhere in the sands of time But I watched the world flow to the dark side of the moon I feel this